Welcome to Broadband Action, the podcast presented by the Community Broadband Action Network. I'm Curtis Dean. The Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, also known as BEAD, is slowly inching toward implementation. The access portion of BEAD, which is where most of the money will be spent, has the stated goal of achieving universal broadband availability across the nation. Now, the BEAD framework is currently being interpreted by the individual states as they develop their own action plans. Recently, ACA Connects, which represents smaller cable and broadband operators across the country, released a national overview of the BEAD program and has some recommendations to be considered by the states as BEAD moves forward. So I'm really happy to welcome our guest today, who is Brian Hurley. He is the Chief Regulatory Counsel at ACA Connects. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Curtis. It's a pleasure and to be here. My, my co-host, John Willow, as always. John, good to see you. Good to see you. Right. We're great. Excited to have you here, Brian, and talk about the report because there's some really good stuff here. And I wanted to start off with a very basic question. What are, you know, provide an overview of what the bead funding entails and uh, what its significance is here in uh, the United States? Sure. Thank you, Curtis. So the bead program, uh, you know, as you said, broadband equity access and deployment uh, program, it was uh, a a funding program that was included in the uh, the broadband infrastructure uh, or bipartisan infrastructure bill that was enacted um, the end of uh, 2021. Um, and it's an unprecedented program. It's a $42.5 billion program uh, that is uh, intended to serve a number of purposes, but primarily it's to connect all unserved and underserved uh, locations in the United States with uh, high-speed broadband. Um, to put it in perspective, the annual budget for the FCC's high-cost program is about four and a half billion. So this is a really an unpre unprecedented in in terms of size and, and scale. It's also a, a unique uh, model. So it's a very much a federal-state partnership. The uh, NTIA and an agent sub-agency within the Department of Commerce is charged with sort of overseeing the program. Uh, developing sort of the the overarching framework rules of the road, uh, but it's ultimately the individual states and territories that are going to be um, awarding the funds to providers, and each state and territory will be conducting a competitive uh, bidding process in order to to make those awards. Um, we are at a point in the process where, so essentially, each state uh, last year NTIA basically. They, they told each state how what percent what portion of the 42.5 billion dollars each state was going to receive uh, and there was a formula that, that they followed in order to make those allocations uh, after that point the states were then charged with uh, submitting what are called initial proposals which essentially lay out each state's blueprint uh, for how they're going to award the funds what what requirements uh, and obligations they will, will put in place for uh, entities that that participate in the program, and they submit those to NTIA for NTIA's review. Those were all submitted. Uh, the due date was end of the year, 2023, so a few months ago. And now the they're in and the balls in NTIA's court. They're they're in the process of reviewing those proposals. Um, one state, Louisiana, has completely made it through the process. Its its initial proposal has been fully approved. Uh, there are a handful of other states where NTIA has approved an, 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 what they call volume one, so the first half of the proposal, uh, but not volume two. Um, and then the rest of the states, NTIA is still 
still reviewing both both portions of the uh, of the proposal. So there's there's a lot of of, of work ahead, um, both for NTIA, you know, in the states as they they work out those those final details. A lot of wheels in motion. A lot of wheels in motion. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. A lot. So we can we can uh, in short in, in short we can we can say that the goal of BEAD is universal broadband access in the United States. Uh, Brian, your report though shows that we could come up short unless we make some modifications to the initial plan. Can you uh, hot, can you talk a little bit about that and uh, and and what that means? Are those are those modifications that are likely to happen? Is this a warning? How's that going? Yeah. So um, you know. And maybe I'll just start by giving just a little bit of background on on the report. So this is a something. This is actually version four of our report that we that we just released um, a few weeks ago. Uh, it's something going. We put out the first version of this report shortly after the bead program was was enacted. Um, and it what we've done is uh, in the earlier version, earlier phases of our of our report, we estimated the share of the funding that each state was going to get. Um, obviously, now that NTA has actually announced those allocations, that that part of the analysis is, is no longer relevant. We know we know what those numbers are, uh, but going forward, we've we've been estimating um, sort of the the numbers of of locations that will be. We think there are numbers of eligible eligible locations in each state and territory that we that will need to receive funding through the program, and then sort of what are the costs involved of connecting those locations, um, and, and one of the primary uh, part points of our analysis is is looking at shares of locations that could receive fiber, which NTIA uh, did uh, establish that fiber fiber they have a term priority broadband projects and those are projects that are served by end to end uh, fiber and there's a um, it's an important concept within within the bead program states and territories essentially have to prioritize projects that that meet that uh, definition. Um, except in areas that are really, really costly, what they call uh, above what's what's called the extremely high cost threshold. Each state is going to have to, to set that threshold. Um, but one of the top line conclusions of our report is we, we do think it's there, there's ample funding to connect um, to connect all eligible locations uh, with BEAD if, if the money is, you know, the money is spent wisely. Um, we think our, our sort of national level estimate is that there's enough bead funding to connect somewhere between 70 and 85% of eligible locations with fiber. Um, and so under that analysis, the remaining locations would be served by other broadband technologies, fixed wireless, for example. Uh, the shares of locations that will we think are, are could get fiber varies quite a bit from state to state. There are some states where we think could easily connect all all locations with fiber. There are others where, you know, it's as low as eight or nine percent of locations, and it's you know no more than thirty or forty percent. And it just it just kind of it, it's sort of the just idiosyncrasies and how the the funding allocations were made and and, and applying you know how and how the formula sort of drove those allocations. So, um, yeah. And those low, those super low those states with super low fiber servability. Um, that's terrain and geography mostly, or is it is it uh, infrastructure over time that's bringing those numbers down, or a combination of things? It's a good question. I, I think it is has to do with with terrain and, and geography. So it's primarily big states in the western half of the United mm -hmm. States that that are suffering, and I think a lot of that is less density, greater distances between locations, terrain. You know, you know those those types of of, of factors. The the allocations were based on largely on 
the share of location of unserved and underserved locations or, or unserved locations in each in each state and territory, but that doesn't necessarily take into account higher costs per location, which you're likely to see in those, you know, those higher, those more sparsely populated Western states. So I think that has something to do with it. Um, but it is, um, I, I was just looking at Nebraska, South Dakota. Um, I could go down the list. There are others, but but kind of big states in the West are, are the mm -hmm. ones that are kind of um, didn't do as well in terms of the how far the money will go. And big states and states with low density, like you mm -hmm. mentioned, those very rural areas. Um, Texas is obviously one of the big ones because uh, it's such a gigantic state and it's also very rural, at least the western parts. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we know that sometimes people that uh, listen to our podcast may not understand the economics of building fiber. Uh, why is it so much more expensive in, in these highly rural areas? So, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to, to density and, and, and the distances between locations. I think with a fiber build, a, a large share of the costs come from just the per mile costs of, of building out the, the fiber, um, both, you know, including the labor involved. And so when you get, into scenarios where it's just you know a few locations per mile you know the costs really start to to increase you know substantially um, and those are those are the kinds of scenarios where you know it's really it, it becomes increasingly challenging to make the the business case even with the the addition of of funding to to build to build fiber in, in those those situations and there may be other factors as well in terms of terrain and and, and geography if it's you know you have to go underground and other, you know, other, other factors like that. But I think those are some of the, the key ones. So in, uh, in our work with the Community Broadband Action Network, we've worked with um, dozens of communities as they're making their, as they're planning and implementing their localized broadband solutions. Um, one of the things that we find with our communities in particular, who, um, this is just my, kind of my, my opinion, my observation, but a lot of communities, even though they haven't necessarily had a fiber network, they've been thinking fiber forward for a long time. So every time they do a street project in some states, a highway project, we drop they drop they've been dropping conduit for years so that when we if we need to put something in there, we can. So now that now that all of the rubber and the road are meeting, um, will those states and those and, and those communities who have like gone to all that effort to drop all that conduit? Um, are they at an advantage now in any way? Like, does that kind of give them a head start? It certainly could. I mean, I think the providers who are considering whether to participate and where to participate and where to bid and how much to bid, they're going to be looking really closely at the costs involved, um, both whether they can make the business case for for participating, what are the, you know, the opportunity costs, what are the other um other investments they could they could make instead where are there other places they could put their money and, and get a, and a greater return and so i think states localities that have taken steps to pave the way for those deployments to reduce barriers to you know the, the, i think those states are are putting themselves on a, on a good footing to to attract uh you know the best possible maximum possible participation from from providers in the program and that's a, that's another aspect of this that we've been very 
um, we, we've we've always been saying you know it's very important to you know to 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 take those steps to to reduce barriers, permitting, making that you know streamlining it, making it less costly, pull attachments, sort of these bread and butter issues that can sometimes hold up or delay or or, or make builds you know too costly. And those are, that's a, a critical part of of making this whole endeavor is as successful as it can possibly be. To give you a real world example of that, Brian, we have a C-band member who it was awarded some state funding for a project in a very rural area and um, has discovered that that very rural area is the terrain is a challenge. And so uh, this operator wanted to do what he has done in many other areas where he would do his uh, the fiber would be installed uh, in the like the shoulder of the road, the gravel road or a paved road, uh, easy access, um, and then, you know, buried there. Uh, in this particular county, unfortunately, the county has a regulation that absolutely no underground facilities can be in the road. And it's really could be the difference between whether this project happens and 200 people get fiber or not. So that's an example of the kind of local regulatory restrictions that can make a huge difference in these projects. Like you were saying, Brian, great, great, that great, great expression, bread and butter issues. Sometimes yeah. it just comes down to that last detail. And that's why I was kind of wondering, you know, how, how people have been prepping feverishly, but didn't make a difference in the end. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I applaud the, those, those states and localities that have been taking those steps and I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful that, that that will pay off in the long run for them. The 2024 C-Band Spring Summit is coming up on April 9th, 2024, and we would love to have you join us either in person or online. The summit will be held from 2 to 5 p.m. on April 9th. It's held at the Stony Creek Hotel in Johnston, Iowa. But like I mentioned, we'll be streaming it live as well. All you have to do is register and you'll get that link. We are really excited about our great topics that we have lined up and the speakers who will present on those topics. None other than Gigi Sohn, a legend in the broadband industry and currently the executive director of the American Association for Public Broadband. She's our keynote. She's going to be talking about defending the public broadband model, something that's near and dear to our hearts here at CBAN. We also have a great session with Ken Demlo from HR Green Fiber and Broadband, and he is going to be talking about the funding opportunities that exist even beyond the bead money that is coming down the pike. And finally, John Willow and Briette Delavu, are two of our champions here at the C-Band team, are going to be talking about equity starts at home, uncovering your community's unique assets. Again, we hope you can join us. It is coming up April 9th, and it will be live in person at Stony Creek Hotel in Johnston, Iowa, or you can join us online. Just go to our website and register. Click the link you see on the screen, and uh, you'll be registered in no time, and we really look forward to to having you as part of the C-Band Spring Summit. So question on um, return on investment, right? Um, most of these networks are being built by private entities and private entities are in the, the uh, business to make a profit. Um, what is the kind of return on investment in you know, years of payback that, that you, you know, your report talks about makes something attractive versus make someone turn it down? So that's a good question. I mean, I'm sure there, there are variables that will, will affect this, you know, make this a different calculus for, for different operators. In our report, we used an estimate of a five-year 
uh, payback period. That's in, in calculating what we think the provider match would be. And then we use that to calculate an estimated uh, extremely high cost threshold. Um, we thought that was a, a reasonable, you know, estimate and, and, you know, but, but of course there will be factors that, mm -hmm. you know, some providers may want to have to have different expectations or, or demands on a payback period. Yeah, that is very much an individualized uh, decision. Of course, we have C-band members that are um, some public entities that have a much longer view, right? Their investments, they're okay with longer than 10-year paybacks or even longer <laughs> in some cases. And then other companies, it's just, you know, uh, they have to answer to shareholders. They have to answer to their members if they're a cooperative model. Right. And, and, and it's all, it becomes a little bit of a political issue if you're a company and you serve a membership base um, and to, to, to explain to those members why you're spending their money to serve an area that is not in your current service footprint. And they've got to understand that, you know, it's the rising tide lifts all boats, but Hey, if I'm used to my dividend at the end of the year, like many of these companies give to their shareholders slash customers, I may not be happy if I don't get my dividend because you built fiber two counties away. So that's always a factor that you have to take into account for these projects. Absolutely. It'll, it'll be interesting to see as that rolls forward too, like what the industry pushback is. Like we are all in the realm right now of like, what does the government say? What does, what do localities say? You know, we're watching the money move around. Yeah. But once, once things are really set in place, it will be interesting to see what other sectors of the industry bubble up with bread and butter issues that towards right. getting all of this done. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of that, one thing that could that's going to be coming up at some point is um, the we we the as the number of locations decreases, the cost per installation um, is is going to rise. And in our little pre-conversation, you said that you thought that we could that that those two could meet um, and still and still have enough to to get everybody covered. How do you how did do you have any thoughts on like what that might look like? Yeah, no, you, you, there are kind of two different phenomena that are that are kind of going on here. So as we lay out in our report, you know, as we've as we've done successive versions of this analysis, the the the, the number of eligible locations or, or, or locations that we eligible locations that we think there will be at the time when states are actually going forward with these with these sub grant processes that number keeps shrinking over time. And that's because locations are essentially getting taken off the table for bead, both, both as providers continue to build out and extend service to locations that would have you know, previously been unserved or underserved. They're also within the, the bead program as, as NTIA has implemented it. There are some other categories of locations that, that get taken off the, off the table. Uh, one is the so-called committed locations. So if there's a location where a provider has an enforceable commitment under another grant program, federal grant program, to serve that location, uh, then that can that can be removed from, from the pool of eligible locations for BEAD. Uh, there's also a, a related category of planned service. So if a provider can demonstrate that it's sort of in the process of bringing service to a location and kind of dot, substantiate that, uh, there's there are opportunities for those to also be removed from from the table, and and that's all a moving target that's going to continue to play out as as the program you know as as we go forward. 
Um, but at the same time, kind of as you mentioned, you know, the locations that providers are using their own capital to serve the, are are the it's the lowest hanging fruit that gets picked first. The lowest cost locations mm -hmm. are more likely to get uh, that you know service sooner. So what that means is, you know, the number of locations shrinks, but the ones that are left over tend to be you know the higher cost uh, locations. So uh, our sort of analysis of cost per location and those kind of metrics that's I, I think we're likely to see that continue to to rise. But we're 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 working against a. The, the baseline is the, a lower number of actual locations uh, that need to get served in the first place. So I think we'll still continue to see some of the, you know, the, the, the positive trends that we've, we've been documenting of just the, you know, the money kind of, you know, being able so to go further. You mm -hmm. think there will be enough to get those hard to reach locations that might need fixed wireless or other technologies to, um, to, to, to bring it to every door, to bring broadband to every door. I mean, our, our report, thinks that there there will be I mean I know that the very very tip of the end of the hockey you know the very 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 highest cost locations are always always really challenging to serve and I think even in when we were building out telephone oh, service yeah. I don't think we ever got 100 you know so so there may be a you know a, I may have to have an asterisk it's really 99 point you know 99 but but I, I think we'll get there's enough funding to get really you know really close to that you know full full deployment I wanted to, uh, you mentioned committed locations, and those are going to be kind of, if we take those out, right, um, enforceable commitments. What happens when those commitments aren't enforced? There's been a big challenge yeah. nationwide with RDOF and those funding commitments that were made, um, and that has affected subsequent rounds of funding, and some of those RDOF funders have now basically reneged on their agreement. Uh, yeah. to do it. So are, are you are you taking those into account? Are you saying they're no longer committed because provider XYZ is pulled out? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I know that there has been, you know, with, with the RDOF program in particular, some of the, the companies that are not, you know, following through on, on those commitments. Um, I do believe we are, you know, we are taking that into account and that's okay. something we'll, we'll kind of keep, you know, keep, keep monitoring as this, you know, as this goes forward and, and other programs are you know, being taken into account as well. So. Good, good. Yeah, that's, that's I know, again, several C-band members have been affected by that. They've seen an area that they were really interested in applying for funding for, and uh, they weren't on the map because of a, a mystery a, a mystery commitment that never actually happened. So uh, I want to protect the people that are trying to do it the right way. So that's for sure. Um very high cost locations. We've talked a little bit about the fact that fixed wireless is going to play a role here. And I want mm -hmm. to talk about that in just a minute. But satellite is really kind of off the table for BEAD, isn't it? Or is or is uh, yeah, Elon still trying to grab some of this? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know if it's completely off the table. I'd, I'd have to go back and... and, sure. and refresh my recollection of of the of both what it says in the statute and what ntia came out you know put in the nofo with for their guidance of what counts as reliable um broadband service but um and i, I mean we've we've been operating under the assumption that sort of fixed wireless is kind of the next best technology that's right. likely to be where you know where states look as, as sort of the, the the primary alternative to to fiber um but we may states also you know some interest in looking to 
to satellite as well, given the sure you know the costs. Giving giving states the latitude to make those local choices if that's beneficial for their citizens versus mandating no, you absolutely can't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, satellite would not be a good choice, say in Iowa or Pennsylvania, simply mm-hmm. because there are other ways to accomplish that goal. But Alaska, that's a lot different story there. So. Um, you know, we have a we have a, a member of our NDIA cohort in Tennessee, and they're uh, they're they're big. They are, there's 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 a there's a whole group that's focused on this one location, but it's like in a, on a mountain, right, <laughs> in the middle of the hills. And and it's it's an example case, right? It's yeah. just like what are right. we supposed to do with this? But it's something that we talk about in our group, and it's and for those kinds of for those kinds of locations, satellite might be an answer. Um, I'm very, I'm ignorant on some of this, on some of these particulars, and I don't really understand how the government would be involved in satellite. Um, but maybe not really involved as far as running it, but you know, it's another way to deliver internet through a private entity that is. So, uh, so, so, uh, public entities like states and counties and um, they can get funding to subsidize. No, it, the, so it, that's what I'm saying. Like, how's yeah? I don't know how it fits into the funding mix, the allocation. Starlink has applied for rounds of funding in the past to mm-hmm. help support their satellite broadband deployment, and that. So they're looking for subsidies. Potentially, I don't know that um, Starlink in particular has expressed interest in beat if it's available of course now we have amazon's kuiper project mm-hmm. and there are others out there but uh, mm-hmm. yeah it's not necessarily that they would uh the states will um uh, you know be investing in spacex by any means it'll be more about they would subsidize their deployment as similar manner that they would another type of networking technology okay. so thank you um, yeah, the uh, on the on the you know on the 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 high hanging fruit, the fruit at the top of the tree that's probably <laughs> going to be a fixed wireless solution. Brian, are does Bead provide guidance to the states about the technical aspects of that? In other words, do they say you should use if you have, if you're going to have to resort to fixed wireless, you need to do? Sorry about the thumbs up. Uh, you have to <laughs> do. Uh, I know, right? Uh, you have to do uh, license spectrum. You have to do certain types of capabilities, et cetera. D- does it speak to that or is it all just about you got to get 100 by 20, however you can do it? Yeah, this is another one where I, I, uh, I'd i have to go back and, and check because I know there 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 was because um, there's kind of two different questions. There was there was what counts as as a as a reliable broadband service that you know takes a location where if a location is receiving such service it's taken off you know it's taken off the table versus what technologies can be funded right through the program to those remaining locations um i uh i don't have those details at my fingertips i don't so i don't want to just speak shoot from the hip on that but no um, problem didn't want to didn't want to stump you we, we make a habit of not stumping our guests, but that just came to mind as we're talking about it. I know uh, some of the state plans I've seen have been pretty, and not just, not bead, but pri- prior to bead funding have been pretty uh, stringent on technical requirements mm-hmm. for fixed wireless uh, to the point where it's, um, we haven't seen a lot of fixed wireless uh, successful grants in some of the areas, in some of the states. 
Um, and they're doing it for the right reasons, obviously. But, you know, a lot of fixed wireless uh, providers are using unlicensed technology because the equipment cost is so much lower. If they use licensed frequencies and whatnot, then the equipment costs are higher. Licensing costs are higher. It just increases the cost to deploy that service. So, um, well, as we wrap things up here, uh, Brian, I one thing that we didn't really talk about here so far is for you to talk a little bit about what ACA Connects is and what you do, because um, I've been involved with uh, your your team for a long, long time, and and but sure. the people listening and watching may not know. So here's your elevator speech, okay, speech opportunity, Brian. Sure. So ACA Connects, we are a trade association. We represent about 500 smaller and mid-sized broadband providers. Uh, our members operate in all 50 states. Um, they are uh, collectively expanding their networks substantially in order to, to bring service to areas that either lacked it or to bring competition uh, to areas. Um, they are, um, given, given that our members primarily operate um, or, or generally operate in, in more rural areas, smaller communities. Um, so they're well positioned uh, to participate in, in programs such as BEAD. So our members are, are closely you know, interested in the program and, and, and closely following uh, the activity in their respective states. Um, and ACA Connects throughout the process has, has you know, been playing a role to, to help them uh, navigate the process and well as to help them connect with their state broadband offices, uh, kind of have those conversations, you know, build those relationships. Uh, ultimately, think this program will be, you know, much more successful if it can encourage participation from smaller, you know, community-based providers that have skin in the game in their communities. They've been providing service for for a long time. Um, they have that technical and and you know operational expertise. They're providing high-speed, you know, networks. Uh, to 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 incorporate those those providers into this program. So, well, I think the nation would be well served if a majority of the bead funding does go to companies like your members, uh, as opposed to the the giants. And I know there's a lot of concern among some of the smaller operators nationwide that the giants will swallow up all this funding. Um, but I'm pretty optimistic that because the states will get to make these local decisions and have a strong feedback on how that process goes. I'm pretty confident we're going to see a lot more little guys with strong community focus. And of course, that's our mission here at C-Band is to support them. So, uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate your time today. And thank you for all, right. all that ACA Connects does for our small providers across the nation and C-Band member uh, providers as well. And uh, we are excited to be able to see you guys this spring for our events here in Iowa, and we'll run into you down the road as well. So Absolutely. thank you very much for coming thank on. Thank you. Thanks Brian. Brian Hurley with the ACA Connects has been our guest today on Broadband Action. Thanks for joining us.